Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. We have our second edition of our wonderful podcast with Adrian Roda, who is a nurse practitioner practicing here in Northeast Florida. And in, the, in our first session, uh, she shared some really neat insights in terms of her upbringing and how she became involved as a, as a nurse practitioner and as somebody who's very, very involved in research right now. And I found that fascinating. And again, we, we have a connection because uh, I met your dad, as you know, over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell a little bit more of that story. Um, uh, Dr. John Rhoda is a tremendous ophthalmologist who practices in Citru- Citrus County, Florida. And um, he actually attended one of my training sessions, um, I think it was in Orlando, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Celebration. And um, I, at that time, I was reaching out to physicians around the country, mostly doing lectures in Florida, but people who came from all over the country to, to attend the lectures training people how to do clinical research in practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turned out to be a pretty popular course and, and we were getting people from you know, different parts of the country. So John uh, went to the session. Um, typically it was a pretty intense session that occurred over a day and a half where we covered a lot of different topics mm-hmm. that were relevant to physician training. And he started telling me about this interesting group of physicians that he was part of in Citrus County. And apparently this group of physicians got together and formed a physician group, multi-specialty physician group, particularly to buy malpractice insurance. And I believe that they called it Florida WellCare. Yes. And uh, they did that be- in response to a malpractice crisis in the state of Florida where the prices and the availability of malpractice insurance became a, a real problem for physicians. And they, they banded together. They were able to buy malpractice insurance at a, a more reasonable price as a group. And then as they came together over that particular issue, they started doing other things, including research. Mm-hmm. So there may have been 80, 80 physicians or so in the group. And they were doing research. And then uh, John, who was just very, very intellectually curious and somebody that had really good research uh, sensibilities, was noticing that, you know, there's only a few people doing the work. And most of them were just kind of freeloading. And and if there was any revenue that came in from the research, they wanted to share that. And he didn't know exactly how to handle that and how to turn the the division into some sort of fledgling but perhaps promising venture Mm -hmm. to something that would be doing, you know, cutting edge state of the art work. So we got to talking and um, I, you know, I found him just, you know, very, very intellectually curious and he, he, he asked good questions, but, but not with any kind of attitude. You know, some people like I'll ask a question and they have their own agenda. It's, it's not really right. a question. It's more like, a, you know, I want to prove that I'm right or um, I want to prove that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. But he, he really had these open-ended questions that um, he was really looking for the answers for. And, and, and I don't want to trivialize that. It, it's a really, really important skill and not that many people have it. So most people, when they ask questions, they have an agenda. Right. And again, it either is that I'm right or you're wrong. But a researcher asks a question as a hypothesis and you intellectually and emotionally need to be neutral. Right. You need to be able to accept the results. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that is a characteristic that's very common. Right. But you you inherited that. 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you inherited that. And, uh, I don't know your mom as well, but, um, obviously both of your parents obviously had some role in that mm-hmm. and it's, it's a tremendous asset for, for, uh, somebody in our field. So the other thing that's interesting is that, uh, even though, you know, Citrus County is in Florida and literally maybe three hour drive from where my main practice is in Jacksonville, Florida, it's a completely different world. It is. And, uh, I've learned things from that world. And now we have some business connections with that world. And I actually enjoy visiting that area quite a bit, but the sensibilities are different. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I don't know, maybe you can share a story or, you know, give us a little bit of insight into how was growing up in a, in a, in sort of a rural healthcare community. So it was very different. Obviously when I graduated from undergrad and grad school, I stayed in Jacksonville because of the opportunities. There was transplant ICUs, level one trauma centers. When I was in nursing school, I worked in our local ER as a PCT or patient care technician. Um, and we would have patients bring in animals that they would get bitten by to show the, the ER physician, which is something I've never <laughs> seen here in Jacksonville. Yeah. So you see a different patient population often, and then you also see different disease processes um, that I did not see doing clinicals here in a, in a larger city in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's to that point. I, I remember reading. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly why I was doing consulting, but there was a hospital. I think it was either in Citrus County or the one county over mm-hmm. that was talking about their policy for emotional support animals in the room, mm-hmm. and there was this big controversy. Um, and I, I don't remember exactly the nature of it, but it, it involved one of my patients who was there who wanted to bring a skunk into his room. Oh, wow. And uh, he actually raised skunks and he claimed that he had, he needed the skunk as his emotional support animal. And this hospital got really, really upset at him. He says, well, we don't allow skunks in the room. And, and I, and he called me and he wanted me to write him a letter stating that he should be able to have a skunk (laughs) in the room. And I said, well, let let me review their policy. And their policy actually said they allow emotional support dogs and horses. Wow. So they allowed horses in the room, but they wouldn't allow a skunk. (laughs) So explain that to me. I don't know. (laughs) And a lot of things, you know, would have to be flown out. We had um, even our helipad at the time, this was 20, five years ago wasn't attached to the hospital. They'd have to drive down the road. EMS would transport the patient. So things have changed in Citrus County, but it was definitely, you know, being doing clinicals in Jacksonville and now working here, all the specialties are in the hospital. It is rare that we fly someone or transport them out of the hospital. We're getting all of them in from rural Georgia and surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a different pace of medicine. It's nice to be able to practice where we are the the tertiary care center. We take care of everything and yeah. can handle it and don't have to ship things out mm-hmm. yeah. like we saw in a small town. Yeah, yeah. Although, as I understand it, uh, Citrus County is also developing, and I think they have a teaching program now in the they hospital do. there. Mm-hmm. So we're proud of them, and they're and they're doing some tremendous things as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's neat to see how. Um, medicine has progressed and the progression of medicine is in large part related to research stuff. Mm-hmm. So getting back to the, to the, some of the research questions, um, one of the things that's neat is that you're able to do clinical research in all different types of venues. Mm-hmm. So certainly um, historically people think of doing research at these very high powered hospitals that were typically in, in inner cities, but 
you, you, you're a good example of somebody that can sort of speak to the fact that people across the board are kind of interested in that. So maybe share with us a couple of, um, of experiences where, you know, somebody perhaps in a rural area or somebody who you would think is maybe less sophisticated actually embrace research. So as mid-levels at a previous ICU I worked at, um, not having a lot of research um, besides graduate school, which was a lot of papers um, and meta-analysis and retrospective research, um, we were involved in a research project. And it was very difficult because we had a phone number and very small amount of um, kind of precepting to get this ball rolling. And so to do that and to be the one that has to do my own provider role, which taking care of the patients and then doing a research role, that was difficult. I think that, you know, research in hospitals is best when you have uh, specific staff delegated to that. And I think it works very successfully in the program I work for now. They have dedicated research staff and one of the surgeons is, you know, world renowned for some of the research that he's done. So I think it has a lot to do with education and having delegated staff that is specific to, Mm -hmm. to the research process to help guide it. Um, You know, we were spinning down blood, we were shipping off samples and we were kind of just, you know, doing things as they came and trying to do the best we could Mm -hmm. with what resources we had. So I'm, I'm particularly interested in your approach to different patients so maybe uh, talk about how you would approach somebody who was, let's say, an attorney who was in your neuro unit versus um, you know, somebody from rural Citrus County, or would they be the same approach? They'd be different. Um, you know, some of research may get people involved because they want to help and others may be for financial reasons. Some of our patients that we see right now in a neuro ICU may not be able to afford their medicine or, you know, it ran out and they didn't have the means to go refill it. So speaking with someone in a rural area that may not be as educated, you know, they're also, they're not only helping research, but also they can get a financial gain and maybe even get a medication that they couldn't afford. Um, And then as an attorney, someone that's very educated, you know, you could be involved in research and helping, you know, the next step and the next drug that could be used. Yeah. So you you bring up a really great point, which is, is the value proposition concept is Mm -hmm. that people get do anything because they have a value proposition. And certainly that's very, very important research and good researchers can understand the value proposition of patients and figure out how to channel that. And I can imagine that for a farmer that comes to the ER in Citrus County and an attorney who has a heart attack during a trial in Jacksonville, Florida, it's going to be a whole lot different. But they both have value propositions. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, whatever it, I've learned that, you know, whatever brings you in for research, you know, you come in and I may screen you for a memory study, but if you don't qualify, oh, I get paid to do a flu vaccine. Well, well, I've already gotten mine, but I have a friend that may like to come in. That money is very valuable to them. Well, you bring up a really good point about value propositions in our next segment. We're going to really dig into that. Okay. Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of Med Evidence, the truth behind the data. 